1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden joined as always by Bob Phil and Nick Stevens. We're back after a little bit of a break. We recorded our live show at Full Tilt Brewing about 10 days ago and then took last Monday off. Thank you again to the staff at Full Tilt Brewing for a great night. And we appreciate our listeners who came out for that one. Going to tonight's show, though, we've got a lot of things to cover, including the Arizona Fall League, where Heston has hot start has highlighted <laughs> Orioles' prospects' performances so far. The Orioles have also made several waiver claims since the season ended. We'll talk about what those could mean or what they might not mean for the rest of the offseason. We'll also give some quick thoughts on the MLB playoffs and take some listener questions. we got some excellent questions in ahead of the show that we're looking forward to answering later on, but first... I'll start with the Arizona Fall League where the Orioles prospects are on the Scottsdale Scorpions. And the highlight so far has been the performance of Heston Kerstad, who had yet another excellent game on Monday, going four for five with a home run, his fourth on the AFL season with two RBIs. Reed Trimble also put together a solid game, going over three, but walking and stealing two bases. So the Orioles prospects playing fairly well so far. Yet Kerstad is a clear highlight of the bunts. And, Nick, I'll start with you. Um, Kerstad, we saw him pick up the pace a little bit at the end of the season with Aberdeen. Now he's carried it over to the Arizona Fall League. What have your thoughts been so far on the way he's playing?
1: I got a few thoughts, actually, about uh, Kerstad and what he's doing. Like I, first of all, just love, like absolutely love seeing the season he's having out in Arizona. Um, you know, I think it's clear... That many people out there just kind of—I don't know—whether ignore this or forget this, but like player struggles are just a normal part of player development process, and I think that's what we saw with Heston Kershaw when he got promoted to High A. Um, Like, I don't think it can be stressed enough. When I, when I, every time I watch these games now because they stream the games now, which thank you Arizona Fall League for streaming these games, but every time I watch him or you know pull the box, go and look at what he's doing. Like, I just think that like, it can't be stressed enough that this organization has a farm system full of coaches and instructors who are all bought into the same plan. They're innovative. They listen to the players. They work together to get these guys to improve. And we have seen like guys like Colton Cowser and Kobe Mayo and Connor Norby and what they did when they got promoted to Bowie. I think we're going to see that with Heston Kerstad going ahead to next year. Like he put up the video game numbers in Delmarva struggled in Aberdeen, but, he hadn't played baseball in almost three years, and between the physical exhaustion and the mental exhaustion, because he had the hamstring injury right before the season started, when he's ready to go for opening day, and there he goes getting the hamstring injury. Um, I think by the end of the year in Aberdeen, you just saw the end of like an emotional and physical roller coaster ride that the, I'm sure he was just happy to get off of. And now he's got he got what two weeks off. Went out to Arizona. It's a hitter friendly park. I think it is fair to mention that. These spring training ballparks out in Arizona, just like in Florida, are hitter friendly. And the pitching quality isn't always the best out there. But, I mean, he's got, what, four home runs, one inside the park home run. He leads the league in hits now, battling uh, old foe uh, Austin Martin uh, for the league league leading hits. But it's just phenomenal. He's one of the top players. And like Vivek's comment there, I think he's kind of joking, but in all seriousness, he's a potential Arizona Fall League MVP. So it's fantastic. Yeah, it's worth keeping in mind
2: the environment, but it's basically in between high A and double A, maybe um, in a hitting friendly environment, like you said, which looking at the park factors that Baseball America released, Bowie is uh, pretty hitter friendly this past year, at least uh, themselves. But yeah, and he's only walked two times, struck out 13. I can't remember if he struck out and is only out today, but he's just on a heater. It's cool to see, but um, The thing that sticks out to me is that he's played in pretty much every game. Meanwhile, guys like Cesar Prieto and Reed Trimble have been basically alternating games. I think Kerstad's sit out one game so far on the season, but he's getting every day at-bats. He leads the team in at-bats with 47 now, and uh, yeah, it's just fun to see him go out there, get his name back in the public just atmosphere, I think, just get that that he's back. He's, he's healthy. He's playing. He he can perform like he was expected to when he was drafted and uh, we'll see how he finishes out the season, but it's gotta be a confidence boost to say the least.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Bobby, I know you were saying at the end of the season that you could see Kerstad starting next year in Bowie. And that was before he went to the Arizona fall league and got off to the start. So you have to feel now like it's pretty likely that we see him in Bowie's outfield on opening day.
2: Yeah, I think so. At this point, I'd be surprised if he wasn't starting in AA Bowie, especially if he, you know, he just continues what he's doing. Obviously not to this extent, maybe, but and has a nice spring training. He should get some time at Major League Camp, kind of like John Rhodes and all those guys did Colton Cowser last year. So, yeah, I think it's a pretty safe bet. And uh, sometimes being an optimist pays off.
0: And I think that with the way the Orioles look at things, they're going to see the way that he has hit in Arizona. If he's able to keep this up, which I think he's going to. And the fact that he finished strong in Aberdeen, he hit well in the playoffs for them. They're going to look at that more than they're going to look at, well, he was bad in the month of August, which is essentially what happened. He had a bad August um, and struggled in his initial run with Aberdeen. But I think this time now is valuable to him. And I think that, You know, Nick, you brought up the players that have done well. And I think Orioles fans have probably been a little spoiled the last two years. Because if you think about it, you know, Gunnar Henderson had that slump in the middle of 2021. Jordan Westberg had a slump over the summer. Colton Cowser, remember the infamous Colton Cowser problem in the month of (laughs) April. But yet all those guys bounced out of it quickly and hit really well. And then with Kerstad, we're just waiting for him to get there. And then he finally goes out. He puts up video game numbers in Delmarva and then struggles with Aberdeen. And we're not always used to seeing that with the Warriors prospects anymore, but it is a normal part of development.
1: Yeah. Like let these guys fail. Like it's okay. If they fail for a week, it's okay. If they fail for a month, the, the, the team is going to do everything they can to put these players in the right position to succeed. And the players who are legitimate prospects, who have a potential future in this organization or somewhere in the big leagues, they're going to break out of it. And, I think we kind of saw those. Well, I mean, we we did see the physical manifestation of all of his frustrations in that game where he was, you know, sat down uh, after not running out of ground balls. Supposedly, I know it seemed like it was. No one ever talked about it. It was seemed to be handled in house, and which is fine, which is great. I'm glad it happened though. Uh, if that was the issue and that's why he was benched and there was a little you know, thing there, I'm glad it happened because I went back and looked and actually. Before the incident, he was hitting 22 games before the incident, 21 games after the incident. So same number of games beforehand. He was hitting 190 with a 600 OPS and a WRC plus of 65. So not very good at all. But after that incident, he hit 278 with a 753 OPS and a 107 WRC plus. So like still not great numbers, but a huge improvement from the first half to the second half and I think you could say like, Oh, it's it's Aberdeen. Those numbers get suppressed, right? How many of these guys, those offensive numbers always aren't great. I mean, T.T. Bowens couldn't get double digit home runs in Bowie. So what's, what's going on or in Aberdeen's what's going on down there in Aberdeen. But I just think like, like I mentioned before, he was physically and mentally probably exhausted. He's getting challenged for the first time as a pro baseball player. And he's just normal development issues, speed bumps. And he's, Clearly, a little reset, a little R&R, a little nice weather out in Arizona. It's still hot out there, I'm sure. But um, just a good, more relaxed atmosphere, and we're seeing him bounce back. And hopefully this is a big springboard into – I agree. I I think he starts next year, opening day, right field in in Bowie.
2: Yeah, honestly, these are things that should have been happening in 2020 if there was a season after he was drafted. And then in uh, 2021, if he didn't hurt himself, right, so he would have already – at least adapted to this level. And I think, like you said, it's a good thing to fail, especially when you're lighting the world on fire and you get promoted to the next level. And it's like, oh, okay, this is not the same. We have to learn to adjust to this. And I think that's what the Orioles do is they're going to, they're going to give you a fair amount of at-bats. You tell them that you're ready for the next level. They'll give you the next level. If you do the same thing, they'll, like Colton Kowser, he got up to AAA. This this, uh, player development team is not scared to move you up quickly if you continue to show that you need a tougher challenge and I think they're looking for you to fail a little bit the way Gunnar Henderson did look the way he bounced back and the real talented players are going to be able to do that make the adjustments because you know if uh, if your first time making adjustments is at the major league level and that could be you never know if if a guy can bounce back or not I think they want to see see you prove that you can do that and uh yeah I think Kerstad is putting that that proof in the pudding right now, the way he's performing.
0: Focus on some of the other players who are out there now. And statistically, when you look at the baseline numbers, some of these performances don't jump out at you as being great. But one thing to remember, especially with the pitchers, we just talked about how hitter friendly that environment is in Arizona. And then you have on top of that, a lot of small sample sizes that could skew things one way or the other. But I did want to mention Noah DeNoyer. Struck out four batters in four and a third's innings work today to get the win. And that should bring him up now to 12. I believe it's 12 strikeouts in 11 innings, which is solid for him, especially coming off the season that he had. Nolan Hoffman has seven strikeouts in five and two thirds innings with just one walk. Easton Lucas has been pretty solid to this point. So you're seeing some of the pitchers play well. And then the hitters on the StatCast data Saturday night, I believe they were playing at Chase Field, we had stat cast data for that game, and one of the hardest hit balls of the night was from Cesar Prieto.
1: Yeah, so my thing with Prieto, I got some thoughts about the pitchers as well and a question about one of the pitchers, um, mainly who is he? But uh, Prieto, like yeah, he's got a couple triples. He, he had a good day the other day, I think, his last game he played. He only seems to play like every – other day or like every third game he hasn't gotten a lot of time so far but you mentioned the hit it was one of the hardest hit balls of that game so that was good to see over 100 miles an hour but I, I'm just kind of he's still not drawing walks I, that was something he didn't do at all in the regular season with Aberdeen and Bowie as well but like, as I watch him play and then I think about you know the future of course everybody wants to point to all right what's next for Cesar Prieto. I'm kind of looking at like where is where does Prieto fit in? And I'm honestly just kind of shocked that they sent him there because if you look at Prieto's splits in the regular season, it just got worse and worse and worse those last like three months of the year. And I feel like you know, adjusting to, you know, life in America after defecting from Cuba, uh, first full season of Pro Ball here in the States compared to playing Pro Ball in Cuba, I imagine his body was just kind of giving up and he was just exhausted by the end of the year. So I'm surprised they sent him out to Arizona to be honest, but I mean, it's, it's good. Maybe showcasing him a little bit for other teams.
2: Yeah, it could be that, or maybe they're just like, all right, we need to get him acclimated as soon as possible. just submerge him in as much baseball and the, the grind as possible. Mm-hmm. And he can rest once the, the AFL is over. Um, but yeah, I mean, nothing too surprising about his performance. Trimble, at least, you know, he's, this is actually pretty advanced competition, considering that he ended the year in Del Marva for him but he's at least walked 5 times in 20 at-bats so what like a 20% walk rate's not too not too shabby it's a good experience for him and the pitching Easton Lucas is the one it's like man, this guy had a great second half of the season and he is just pitching lights out out of the the bullpen for Scottsdale which is where the Orioles players are participating he's he did he pitched again today he pitched 0.2 innings and struck out about or something like yeah. that so he's still got a zero era over four appearances there was five innings eight strikeouts only two walks so love seeing that and uh yeah looks like the other guys i denoyer he, he's got a high era but you're gonna have a high era we saw that from nick Vespi and Logan gillespie last year Really like what I've seen for DeNoyer. He's he's still striking guys out. Nick Richmond, okay. Um, Nolan Hoffman, I like the I like the guy. He's struck out seven, only walked one, even with the high ERA. But, yeah, I think so far, so good for the Orioles that are participating, even if, you know, especially I would expect Prieto's batting average to creep up in a 250s, 260
0: range. Yeah, I think for Trimble, this is good experience because he also missed a lot of time. With injury, he was out for a shoulder injury for most of this season. He hasn't played past Delmarva yet, but you know that this you see the raw skill set that made a lot of evaluators high on him coming out of the draft in 2021. So, yeah, you're looking probably at Aberdeen's one of Aberdeen's outfielders on opening day next year. So, I think this is a good tune-up for him. So, I'm not with Trimble. I'm not going to read too much into the stats because I just think that getting this time is good for him. However, if he does end with a, you know, 20 plus percent walk rate, I'll feel pretty good about that.
1: Yeah. He also can't catch a break out in Arizona because he, I think it was the first game that he played in. He was hit by a pitch. And if I remember correctly, I think Josh Norris from baseball America was at the game and he said, I could be wrong, but I think he says like a hundred mile an hour fastball that got him in the shin, I believe. I don't know. But first at bat, he gets hit with the pitch, leaves the game. I think they slowly work him back. And then the other day when he played and I found out that the AFL now streams our games on their website, uh, I'm watching and he fouls the ball off his leg, goes down and stays down for a significant amount of time in clear pain. I'm like, all right, this is it. If he's hurt, I'm sure the Orioles are just going to say, all right, come home, let's start fresh in some winter camps or whatever. Like you need the at-bats, but let's not risk it. Luckily he did stay in the game. I think fouled the ball off his leg again on the very next pitch, but He seemed to be okay. He played today. He did get ejected uh, today during Monday's game I saw in the box score but after striking out, but stole two bases and drew another walk. But, yeah, I was actually surprised, too, that he would go because I feel like a lot of these guys that typically typically go to Arizona are older, and he's just had, like, no pro time. But I feel like that speaks to me. That says the Orioles really do value this guy and think that when he goes to Arizona, like, he's going to actually get something out of this, not just – Go in there, take some hacks. You need at bats. It doesn't matter if you're going to get blown away. Like you're going to go to Arizona, and they think he can hold his own against those the the pitchers that are over there and get value out of this, which is one of the reasons why like I'm adding him to like he's either at or near the top of my list for guys who I think could break out in 2023. Now that he's fully healthy and can get a full season under under his belt.
2: Yeah, well, I do think that getting some at bats, some extra bats, is a part of it. Like I definitely Mm -hmm. agree that. I think they're like setting him up to start next year at high A and finish the year at double A if, if things go great for him and
1: uh, let's hope they do.
2: Yeah,
1: I also wanted to say like about the pitchers like Nolan Hoffman. It, it's cool he's striking that guys out and not walking guys again just like he did with Bowie this year. Even though it was just a few innings, he missed pretty much most of the year. But I just remember after the Rule Five Draft and a lot of Mariners fans, even guys like Joe Doyle. A lot of writers over at Lookout Landing were like, it kind of sucks that Hoffman got taken by the Orioles because we really like him. And so if those guys are writing and saying, hey, this Hoffman kid's actually kind of good, I'm interested. So uh, it's good to see him out there and healthy. My question was about Nick Richmond and kind of like, who is he? Uh, Because I don't think I watched any Nick Richmond this year. All I know is that he signed late in the year. Well, like Mm -hmm. May or June. Yeah. And ended up going quickly through Aberdeen, I think. You know, quickly through Delmarvin ended up in Aberdeen. I don't really know. The only thing I found, I don't know what he throws. I don't know anything about his repertoire, unfortunately. This guy I'm stumped on. I saw one note, though. Apparently, he threw 91 breaking balls this year and only allowed one hit. So that's impressive. But Easton Lucas, I think that, first of all, I think I mentioned after we, on that episode where we broke down the trades, and, and I said, like, where we had to carefully tread the Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez trades, um, that that Jonathan Villar deal, I thought was the only move that I'm was like scratching my head at, like why did Elias do this? Why did the Orioles have to make this move? And then we you know we learned some more things about Villar and his how the organization viewed him, but I still felt like that was kind of a weird move. But now like Easton Lucas had a really really good year, and I don't know many other stickos out there who follow. Other than Vivek there in the comments again, other than probably Vivek, I don't know many other sickos who are following uh, minor league relievers. So, But he had a stretch of like, what, 17-plus innings where he didn't allow a single run and had like 23 strikeouts, just a couple of walks, a couple of hits. And now he's doing this in the Arizona Fall League. I almost get like this year's Logan Gillaspie vibes from Easton Lucas. Like I'm waiting for someone like Eric Logan Hagen or someone to say like, Hey, this Nick Rich, or this Eastern Lucas guy never heard of him before, but he caught my eye and I'm looking at the data and wow, like there might be something here. And also he's rule five eligible. So like, is this another situation where he's showcasing himself? He pitched the full year too, and the Orioles still send him out to Arizona. So I don't know, just a name to keep an eye out as the offseason rolls along, maybe. Yeah, for sure. I think either Lucas or Hoffman could be
2: potentially a surprise 40-man addition, kind of like Logan Gillespie was last year. And and maybe uh, Nick Richmond is this year's Connor Loprich, who at this time last year, I'm like, why are the Orioles still messing around with this guy? He was terrible last year. He's getting lit up in the AFL. He started 2022 really rough. And then Suddenly he was great in this last three or four months of the season. So maybe there's something there with Richmond that they see and they're just trying to trying to work it out, give him every chance in the world to uh to, to get there with the Orioles. Yeah, I was <laughs> pausing there to pull up this great uh comment from AJ
0: Sickers of the World Unite. That's right. We have a very unique fan base here and I
1: absolutely <laughs> I love it. I love yep. it.
0: Well, what I love, and we're gonna talk about this later on, is I think our patron chat has been lit up for the last two weeks trying to figure out who the backup catcher is going to be next year. You know that's a different fan base.
2: Yeah, we've got six now in the 40-man. The competition is, is rolling.
0: Yeah, going back to Easton Lucas before we get into the discussion about some of the 40-man roster moves, I could see where he's probably now on that bubble of players you got to think about protecting. I would still put Noah Noir ahead of him. If I'm you know making the list because you know right that Grayson Rodriguez and Drew Rom are locks to get protected, you know Joey Ortiz is getting protected, Um, but then you have to you know I'm finding room for Denoyer somewhere. Then Lucas and Nolan Hoffman could make things interesting.
1: Yeah, and Denoyer, I like you mentioned you know the numbers aren't great. He's striking out guys, which is good, but you know he's got the inflated ERA a bit he'd only allowed one earned run today to the first four innings. I think they tried to get him a fifth inning and kind of stumbled there at the end, but um, I didn't listen to the interview, but I know press box had a, a piece. I think he did an interview with press box recently, but they also wrote an article kind of summarizing it. And it, it said, I didn't realize this, but DeNoyer and Dean Kramer went to the same junior college. I think at different times, but so they're familiar with each other and they were actually COVID throwing partners in 2020 and how DeNoyer really looks up to Kramer and I'm just thinking, like, Dean Kramer had a big rebound in the major leagues this season, like huge turnaround. Uh, I'd say that's not a bad guy to lean on. And also, when looking at a guy like DeNoyer's numbers, you know that press box article mentioned, and John Miole wrote about this too. Like, he's developing that sweeper, that patented you know, new Orioles sweeper. Now, I think uh, a, a a cutter. I think he said was the other pitch he was working. On. He's working on some secondary pitches to go with his really good curveball that we know he has. But he's working on those secondary pitches and trying to get more comfortable throwing those to set up the curveball, help the fastball out a little bit. So this could be an instance where he's out in Arizona and they're just like, throw it. Even if you don't feel comfortable doing it, throw it. If it gets jacked, just hit your spot and l- let it get jacked. Let it go over the fence. But if you're hitting your spots, that's all that counts. And so that could be an instance where Denora inner spring, like I know I can throw this pitch in that scenario and we see those results pay off next year. And he's next year's Dean Kramer. I don't know. <laughs> I think you're exactly right with him because
2: I still think that he is a lock to be added to the 40 man, even though he's in the AFL and it seems like, oh, he's getting his last chance on there. I think it's more like you said, he's just fine tuning things. He missed some innings with some minor injuries throughout the year and he's learned a couple of things. So why not use this time to uh, get some game action with it and uh, coming to next year, just even more ready than ever.
0: So in the short time since the season ended, the Orioles have made a few waiver claims, and what has resulted here is that there are now six catchers on the 40-man roster. Should say that technically Robinson Torinos is still on the 40-man roster. Uh, he won't be a free agent until after the World Series concludes. So in the coming weeks, that number is going to drop to five. But um, kind of an interesting makeup so far. Anthony Ben Boom, who was on the roster early in the season, is on the 40-man right now. Cam Gallagher, who the Orioles picked up late in the year, is there. But then they've also added Aramis Garcia and Mark Colos- uh, Excuse me one second. Mark uh, colos vary uh, from the Cincinnati Reds. So, Say it five
2: times please. Yes. <laughs>
0: um, kind of this, uh, Bob, I'll start with you here. The question of who the backup catcher is is obviously far from settled when you're looking at this many names on the roster. And you know that every offseason you can always get a veteran defensive first backup catcher on free agency on a low year, you know, minor league deal or a low cost one year deal. But it seems like the Orioles are starting to line or certainly lining up options.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And it's not that surprising. I mean, look at the guys that have been removed from the 40 man roster, Lewis head, uh, Bo saucer, bunch of just relievers that are probably not going to be back next year. They were kind of on the end of the, the uh, 40 man there. And look now that there is not a work stoppage, they can get these guys into a camp and see what they've got. See if there's, you know, just get a bunch of guys in there while you have room on the 40 man. And if it doesn't work out later, you always can just DFA them as well. If you pick up someone better, I'm still hoping for a guy like Austin hedges to be the backup catcher Mm -hmm. next year, but Hey, maybe a guy like Armas Garcia who has great framing numbers, maybe he shows them something that hey, this is a guy we give a shot. Uh Mark Mark is um he's younger, he's had some some success uh in the minor leagues. Um maybe that's a guy that they see something they like. And same with Cam Gallagher and the one that's a little more weird is Anthony Boom. I mean, he was a good framer, decent defensive catcher, catcher ERA, but I think we saw that he's not the answer but I guess it doesn't hurt if you don't want to lose him as a minor league free agent. I hope that you can pass him through waivers later on and keep him around in AAA. But yeah, I don't know. The the backup catcher thing does not get me as excited as it does Vivek and some other guys in our WhatsApp group. But it is interesting the way they're handling it right now.
1: No one mentioned Brett Cumberland in any of this discussion. I don't know if I've seen his name. Um, No, like I think these two guys are fine. Like stockpile them up. It's fine. Garcia the most interesting thing I, I found on him was that he's the second former Florida international catcher that we've brought in uh, shout out to JC Ascara, who was the other who is no longer catching, but went to Indy ball and I think is catching again. But anyway, I don't think either of these guys survives the offseason like on the 40 man roster, to be honest, like you can still go out and sign a free agent. I do love the Austin Hedges thing. Guy can't hit to save his life, but I mean, Fantastic defensive catcher, a perfect backup to Adley. Um, also I don't even know if he plays any like first base or anything or if he's strictly behind the plate, but you know, it's it's fine. Um, I mean Garcia, since he's on here now, if he does survive, like defensively, he's a major improvement over Robinson Chirinos, which I know is it doesn't take much defensively to get an improvement over Robinson Torinos, but one of the top framers in the major leagues last year in that small sample he has so I mean it's fine he's got options as well so if he does stick around I think he has three options remaining so like you can he's got roster flexibility he's got positional flexibility cuz I think he does play some first base um so I mean it's it's fine and Mark I'm just going to call him Mark too um <laughs> <Marky> like, Mark Mark <laughs> I like Mark a little bit more because he's just he's younger uh, and he's you know he's more prospecty but I think Eric Langenhagen at Fangraphs had him as the Reds 39th ranked prospect <laughs> coming into this year so he'd be like our 150th ranked prospect, I think, but he kind of had some good notes in there. Like he, uh, the track man data being really good. Like he barrels the ball at an extremely high rate, good exit velo data, a little bit above average. And he could see uh, Mark here as a career kind of third catcher, a guy you keep around for a long time. And I think that's fine. He could draw walks, good walk rates throughout the minor leagues. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's, I don't think it's going to be Ben boom. He's fine to get a look obviously, but I really like Jacob Nottingham. I don't think we never talked about him because he's a veteran guy. He's not a prospect, but I don't even think we ever like highlighted him on Twitter either, even though he hit like 15 home runs this year, but it's like, he was really good down there for Norfolk. I don't know what he's like defensively. I don't know if you guys know, or anyone in the chat knows what he's like defensively. I also don't know if he would want to come back knowing he'd strictly be Adley's backup, but I don't know. There's lots of options, but I imagine I would take a, my bet is that the backup catcher is, currently not on the 40-man roster
0: one thing it's worth pointing out with Garcia is he is actually arbitration eligible this offseason MLB trade rumors projects him to earn $800,000 so if Garcia is not non-tendered in the coming weeks that's probably a good sign for him in terms of how the Orioles see him probably as part of the opening day roster Um, so Garcia might not be on the 40-man in a month or so but We'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I look at the list of catchers that are available this offseason, and it's a lot of very familiar names. You have Sandy Leone out there, Jason Castro. Torinos will be a free agent, obviously. Um, But there are a lot of backup types, and I do think that Austin Hedges would be an interesting fit just because the defense is so good. And although his season was cut short by injury, I do wonder if Roberto Perez is going to enter the mix. Because there were reports last year that the Orioles were interested in Perez before he signed the Pirates. And it's easy to see where, had he come to Baltimore, he probably would have filled the Robinson Torino's role. But if he had stayed healthy, probably done a better job of it. So that's another name that I would consider possibly, depending on how his health is.
2: Yeah, that's the guy I wanted last year around this time was Roberto Perez. He was definitely at least up there. But, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy with any of these defensive wizards that uh, at least Hedges, he can take a walk. He, he's not going to hit. He can walk, and like uh, Vivek said, he's Shane Bieber's catcher, so why not bring them both in?
1: No, uh, no love for Gary Sanchez. Nobody wants Gary Sanchez. I see him on the list here.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> if we need a Trey Mancini DH type, you know,
1: never hurts. No, I love the Hedges. Now I'm stuck on that. I want Austin, and I love that Austin Hedges, Austin, sign Austin Hedges, sweeten the pot for uh, Shane Bieber over there. Bring up Grayson Rodriguez. Now we're cooking.
0: I'm going to bring up another waiver claim, and that's Jake Cave, an outfielder who was claimed by off from the Minnesota Twins. Left handed hitting outfielder who was actually decent in the 2018 and 2019 seasons in a part time role for the Twins, but then has really bought him off over the last three years. He's another player who is arbitration eligible. This offseason, MLB trade rumors projecting him to earn $1.2 million. Um, so that's another guy that, again, could be non-tendered. But left-handed hitting bat, maybe change the scenery helps. And if nothing else, perhaps this is just organizational depth. So curious what you guys think of Cave.
2: It's an interesting uh, claim to me. I mean, he he came in the majors 25, 26 years old, was above average offensively about a two-war player if you would spread out his time to a full season. And then he just dropped – his offense just completely disappeared and he got better at defense. So, I mean, he's kind of like a left-handed Ryan McKenna as uh, Vivek C- Comments, the exact same thing at the same time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe with the new wall, Baltimore, that they want to get rid of McKenna for a lefty version of himself, or maybe it's just – Hey, we'll bring it. We'll claim him now. We'll DFA him and hope to just get him to start in AAA where he can be some good depth and we don't have to pay him. I I don't know how the arbitration works. If they DFA him and he sticks around, do they still have to go to arbitration? But I, I just, I don't know why you're paying over a million for this guy when I feel like there are comparable players that maybe you could get for the league minimum, but it's not that big of a difference uh with the minimum raising but i I don't know it's interesting when I saw it I was like oh that's a name I remember as a somewhat decent prospect coming up at one point but yeah something to talk about
1: yeah he's I didn't even look into it at all like he's kind of in my mind I just picture him like Brett Phillips but like someone worth paying attention to maybe a little bit I don't know um It'd be interesting. He would be a good guy if you could stash away in AAA. Brett Phillips elected for free agency, I think, last week. So uh, I don't imagine using the LDS probably is around next season. Um, Robert Newstrom, uh, I don't know what his situation is going to be like. So, I mean, if you can get him and stash him away in AAA, I'm fine with it. It's cool. But, yeah, this is kind of a nothing for me. I can't get excited about it.
2: A triple A outfield of Colton Kowser, Hudson Haskin, Jake Cave, and uh, Johnny Reiser coming back from injury. DJ Stewart's still around. And DJ dude. Stewart, I was going to say yeah. the same. No
1: one, everybody just wants to throw DJ Stewart away. That's fine. The guy is a great cheerleader. He actually does seem like <laughs> he is. <laughs>
0: yeah, so that actually wouldn't be a bad outfield for Norfolk to start out and then, you know, gives them another left handed hitter when Kowser's promoted to the majors sometime in the summer.
2: This is what we need to be thinking about when uh, we're in the middle of the playoffs, for sure. <laughs> yes.
0: So I, I do want to talk about the playoffs a little bit because it's obviously going on. We're recording Monday night. Um, Cleveland and the Yankees, I believe, are still in a rain delay at this point in time. But that get- contest will decide the winner of that series. Who goes on to play Trey Mancini in the Houston Astros? Meanwhile, over in the NL, the Philadelphia Phillies pull off back-to-back upset series victories to get to the NLCS where they will face San Diego Padres, a team that has had a World Series caliber roster for each of the last two years. They're now just four wins away from getting to the World Series. But they're going to have to go through a Phillies team that looks pretty good right now. So, Nick, I'll start with you here. Uh, Any takeaways from the playoffs so far you want to share?
1: I was at the beach last week, so I didn't get to watch – too much. I remember the first day of the playoffs, I sat down and watched what all four games back to back to back to back. And it was glorious. And I was like, oh, I'm leaving. So I'm not gonna be able to watch anymore. Uh, but you know, I'm glad the Cardinals are out. Cause I think they're boring. Uh, you know, I respect Adam Wainwright and Albert Pujols and all those guys, but I don't need to see Albert Pujols like old man mall walking it down the first base in the world series. Like I want to see fun, exciting baseball that's the San Diego Padres like I cannot wait to watch this Padres Philly series I'm pulling for the Padres I hope it's Padres uh Guardians I was gonna say Indians uh I want to see Padres Guardians only because it that would be like the Guardians what percentage of their roster are are, like Padres castoffs they're guys in the Clevenger trade and some other deals they made like I think that would be an awesome uh storyline there um the pot like I want Manny Machado to get that ring I am still a massive Manny Machado fan I think this Padres team they've got a permanent soft spot in my heart after I spent that year covering them so I'm happy for a lot of those guys Wayne Kirby Ryan Flaherty uh, I'm, I'm happy for Padres fans because after spending a year in like Padres Twitter and that's like a soul-sucking place when during the dark times in San Diego uh, I'm just I'm glad their fans can celebrate but yeah, hopefully Cleveland can pull this out. Um, if it's the Astros, it, Trey Mancini is the only reason I want the Astros to win that. But if it's Cleveland, Houston, like, sorry, Trey, but I'm pulling for Cleveland. Cleveland, San Diego is what I hope it is. But Phillies, I'm not going to be mad if it's the Phillies either. And I will say publicly, I don't know if I've ever talked about Bryce Harper and my feelings about Bryce Harper, but I think I did. Then I called him something. I, yeah, you uh, called him a
0: tool. Back yeah,
1: that was right. Okay, uh, so my feelings are public about Bryce Harper. I'm not gonna. I've kind of softened up on Bryce Harper now that he's not with the Nationals and you know he's in Philly. And I don't hate the Phillies at all. Um, I wouldn't be mad. I want to see good baseball. And I think we're going to have a really, really good semifinals here. And all the discussions about who's made it and all this playoff discourse that's going on right now—it's stupid. The the best teams are winning at the right time like the dodgers got exposed that's what happened the world wants to see the padres that's that's just what it is also this has always been the case with the playoffs that yeah you could be
2: great <laughs> all year where you get cold for look the orioles mm-hmm. lost to the royals in 2014 it's just it is what it is that's what makes it fun it's not a computer simulation of a thousand games and you know you gotta have some entertainment with your sports guys come on uh yeah am i have the guardians uh, $10 bet for them to make the world series that I made in like July or August that uh, I'd like to see them get there. And then I'd like to see the Padres beat them in the world series. That would be cool. Get Manny Machado a ring, just a fun team. You see them go for it. They trade for Juan Soto. They're all in like to see that rewarded from time to time. Uh, the Phillies, there's a couple of guys in my neighborhood that are Phillies fans. So I guess I could be happy for them and the Astros, they have Trey, but, and the only, the more than trade, like just, to see the Astros continue to succeed, which is like the future Orioles. This is where we're headed. So we're going to be in the ALCS for five or six years in a row coming up here soon. So hot take. Um, yeah. I'm, it's just been incredible baseball. That Seattle 18 inning game was amazing. There was so many comebacks and walk-offs. It, it's been a really fun playoff so far. Just, just enjoying it. But what about the, what do you guys think the new change, the two out of three in the, the wild card round, I thought that uh, the one-game playoff was going to be hard to beat just with the intensity, but I kind of like the two out of three better with all three games
0: being at the favorite home field.
1: I I, (sighs) I don't know.
0: I'm fine with it so far. I mean, ask me in a year when the Orioles don't have a home playoff game how I feel about it. I'm probably going to have a different Mm -hmm. answer. But for this year, I'm fine with it. I thought the Cardinals-Philly series was really good. The Guardians-Rays games were excellent. Those two teams could have played seven in a row. And I would have watched it. Um, so those overall, those were good series. And we did get to see that Seattle come back against Toronto. So that was fun. Very.
1: I, I, I don't know yet. Yeah. Give me another year and we'll see what happens. I, I don't. I mean, I guess, you know, it's, it's not that like it's unfair, like earn it, earn the home field games uh, if you want it. But. We still, like Zach mentioned, we still saw some fantastic baseball. I remember I was at the beach, like in the middle of dinner, when the the Mariners walked it off, and I'm just like erupted in the middle of our dinner. And I'm so, <laughs> sorry, guys, but that was pretty thrilling. Um, but yeah, I kind of miss. I'm not gonna lie. Maybe I'm in the minority here, but I miss like that one game. I like the intensity. Just one game, give it all you got. Um, even if I do keep getting like the flashbacks to you know the Orioles Blue Jays game, like I, I want. I like that, but like you said, this playoff series, it's been fun. It's been entertaining. I haven't felt like, oh, this series is a drag. I'm just not going to watch it. Like in years past, there's been some of that. This year, like I'm I'm in tuned, and I haven't paid attention to Major League Baseball much at all this year, and I've been like into it. So kudos to these teams. It's just good baseball.
0: You know, Nick, you just brought back a bad memory there. I had to let out a heavy sigh when you mentioned that because – Yeah, walk off home run. It involves Ebaldo Jimenez. I remember watching that, and Ebaldo Jimenez comes in the game. I'm like, this is over. This Uh, is it. The season ends right here. And sure enough, it did. And yeah,
1: there's a lot of that discussion going on with my family uh, at the beach this past week. But, uh, and you know, with Buck Showalter, which I don't know, like, we just want to keep talking about these playoffs, but like, Buck's move with Joe Musgrove and the ear thing, like, that was kind of. Buck what are you doing that was the only thing I was like guys I don't know Buck it's kind of weird but
0: whatever
2: yeah I don't know him and bullpen management they just they can't go hand in hand but yeah we had I think that 2016 walk-off loss was probably the most defeated I've been uh, in a long time but we had the Joe Saunders game as well so we've had the good and the bad in Baltimore in the one game playoff but Yeah, I don't know. It could be still just as intense if you split the series and go into game three, especially if uh, the Orioles are home.
1: Yeah, it is better, I will say, than like the NBA and NHL playoffs because I just feel like those are too long. And just everything is going to game seven, game seven, game seven. Just let's do it. Three, five, seven. I like the way MLB has set it up. I think they're they're hitting this one right.
0: The NBA playoffs take like eight months. The NBA season now I feel like is shorter than the NBA playoffs. It does feel that way. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not a huge basketball fan. I loved the Cavaliers-Warriors final a few years ago when the Cavaliers won. But it's like it took six months from the start of the first round to the finals to get there. And it's like, all right, I can't watch all of this.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. like one game, two days off. <laughs> Another game, three days off. It's They really stretch it out.
0: So with that, we'll uh, go into listener questions, which so far don't have anything to do with the NBA. And if you're watching us live, and it seems that like we've got a pretty uh, good group watching us live tonight, and you got a question that comes to mind, feel free to jump in. I'm going to start with this question from Kevin Brown, not the Mass and Kevin Brown, a different Kevin Brown. Um, do you guys think the teams are pulling their starters too soon in playoff games? And do you think the As-O's oh, should add more multi-inning relievers to combat this for the future? I'll start with Bob on this one.
2: I kind of feel like they're already a little bit set up for this. Um, I don't I don't think it's necessarily that teams are pulling starters too early. I think it's just that, you know, as they have to go more all out to um, try to get outs, they're not lasting as long. We know the third time through the order, you know, pitchers struggle way more. But the Orioles already have right now guys like Keegan Aiken, Michael Ballman, Austin Voth, Logan Gillaspie and even DL Hall if he doesn't make it as a starter he'll be a multi-inning reliever most likely uh you also have Tyler Wells who could be a starter or a reliever and maybe if Kyle Bradish or Dean Kramer eventually get pushed out of the rotation those guys could be solid multi-inning relievers and then even down on the farm you got like Drew Rahm, Brian Watson, Chris Valamont, Noah Denoyer all these depth of pitching prospects that aren't you know Top end the big names, they at least Justin Armbruster, these are guys that are going to be able to give you multiple innings at the major league level if and when they get there. Zach Peak as well. So yeah, maybe you know, you get a couple great starters. You get some of these multi-inning relievers to bridge the gap. And then you got your Felix Bautistas and Sional Perez, and there's one inning guys to close it out. But these, yeah, I think the multi-inning relievers are only going to be more and more important as time goes on.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like, I, I don't think they're pulling guys, like, too early. I mean, if you have your ace on the mound, like, DeGrom or Scherzer or I was going to say Garrett Cole, but he's broken. Um, Like, whoever, like, you guys, your ace, like, yeah, I want you to figure it out and, and go. And I kind of used to be one of, the, like, the old guy that yells at clouds, like, you're a starter, go seven innings, do your job. Like, I want to look at the probables that night and say, yeah, I'm watching that game. Look who the two starting pitchers are or – You know, for me, like I got to drive three hours if I want to go see an Orioles game live. So it's like, all right, I know this guy is starting tonight. I don't want to get there. And then he's pulled after four innings because, you know, we're doing this. But I've changed my tune there. Like, I get it. Like, if you can get a guy who can go through the order twice, especially in the playoffs, specifically the question you're asking about the playoffs, if you can get your starter through the order twice and you can bring in another guy who can do that twice, and then you got your one inning guys. That's you, you set yourself up better for success. You know, with all the data that teams have available now, you can. The matchups are better, and you know you can design. I think the Orioles, I, Bob got it right. Like the Orioles are designing a lot of these guys and setting them up for that. Yeah, Drew Rom could be a great example. Could he? Is he going to be a guy in the major leagues that goes through a lineup three times? Probably not. But he's got enough funk and weirdness in the delivery. The stuff plays up just enough, and there's a little bit of you know. The stuff is just good enough to get to a lineup once or twice. That's great, and that's huge value for a team. So, yeah, I, I do think the Orioles are already setting themselves up uh, pretty well for that scenario when next year when we are in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with both of you on uh, all of your points there. I think the Orioles have been heading in that direction for a while with how they want to build their bullpen, and you look at some of the guys that are there now that Bob mentioned, And then you have Noah DeNoyer and Ryan Watson, who could be bullpen options at some point in 2023, and they're definitely suited to that multi-inning reliever role. So I think you're going to see that. And as for whether starters are being pulled too soon, I'll admit I want to watch the best starting pitchers go as far into the game as they can. So like Aaron Nola going deep into a game, to me, was kind of refreshing. But at the same time, it's just part of the... It's just the nature of the playoffs these days. And it's really the combination of the fact that, you know, managers probably are a little quicker to pull starters now than they've been in the past. And you've got the heightened sense of urgency that comes in with the playoffs. And you can't, you look at the teams that are in the postseason this year, you can't count on their bullpen giving one away to you. That's why the Padres are in the NLCS. That bullpen was locked down for two series and. If they're that good in the LCS, they're going the World Series.
2: Yeah, who's it? Ranger Suarez or the, some guy named Robert Suarez who just out of nowhere has been a beast, and Josh Hader's found his his old groove again. So yeah, that's bullpens very important, especially in the playoffs.
0: So we'll go a question from Vivek here, and it's actually two questions that are kind of related to each other. Are there any underrated free agents or trade candidates that aren't getting enough attention so far, and also? What is one out of nowhere blockbuster trade you would highly consider? And I'll start with Nick.
1: The free agent, I still didn't even, I'm just looking at the names now. So sorry, Vivek, I don't have an answer for this. Um, I'm a gambling degenerate and my focus has been, Bob's got a lot of notes. So I'll just move that. I will say, I don't know, um, like under the radar, like free agent, like I'm looking at the list of second baseman and I'm wondering, you know, I don't know about fit, but like, you know, a Colton Wong or Adam Frazier type. I don't know. Um, but Blockbuster Trade, I did think of a name only because I was listening to a Brewers podcast this morning actually at work. And uh, Corbin Burns, don't about that. I, they were talking about how their episode today was, you know, how are they feeling heading into the offseason because, you know, the end of the season kind of stunk for Brewers fans. And I guess David Stearns admitted that he screwed up pretty bad with the Josh Hader trade. So I imagine he's going to be extra cautious, but I don't know. Like, where are the Brewers? Are are they going into the off season like let's build around you know, Andrew McCutcheon and uh, Christian Yelich? Who is he good? Is he bad? I don't know. Um, their roster just seems that, like to be in this weird place. And I think Corbin Burns. I meant to look at this. I think he enters arbitration this year. Uh, so you know, are they going to want to pay him? What he's do this off season, and they say let's save the money. They've got a lot of really good prospects coming up, so you know, do they save some money, let the prospects come up and learn a little bit, and then go hard next off season? In the meantime, deal someone like Corbin Burns. I don't know, but if you're talking like sneaky blockbuster, I wouldn't hate it. I would say Brandon Woodruff too, but I went big and said let's go Corbin Burns if we're hypothesizing here in October. <laughs>
2: Yeah. All right. I'll start with the trades. And since you mentioned uh, Brandon Woodruff, who was one of my guys, I did the old trusty trade uh, simulator that's on the Internet that everyone loves to use just as a baseline. Um, So, you know, obviously these exact trades aren't exactly probably what teams are looking for. But I I gave I have five pitchers that we could trade for. None of them are really a surprise. But Brandon Woodruff, I had you could trade Cedric Mullins straight up for him. Uh, just based off what the thing said. Or you could do Austin Hayes, Jordan Westberg, and another mid-level prospect, something like that. I also had Tarek Skubel as a target, who I know he missed the end of the season due to injury, but if his physical checks out, you could do something like Austin Hayes, Ramon Urias, Jordan Westberg, or Dean Kramer, Anthony Santander, Colton Kauser, something like that. From the Rockies, Germán Marquez, we could probably get him for... You know, a player that we released two months ago, or I more realistically, I put Keegan Aiken and Useniel Diaz or Hudson Haskin and Cesar Prieto, something like that. A couple, you know, guys in the 10-15, 10-20 range. Pablo Lopez, another popular name right now. I got Mullins and Haskin or a Santander, Hayes, Westberg slash Mountcastle. There's a lot of ways you could go with the Marlins. And then Shane Bieber, obviously the big one. There's a couple ones in here. Austin Hayes, Colton Kowser, Jordan Westberg, or Cedric Mullins, Ramon Urias, and either CNL Perez or Brian Baker, whichever one they prefer. And as far as free agents, I just went down the list and, and put a check mark next to any guys that sounded intriguing to me. I have Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, Nathan Iavaldi. Uh, let's see, do pitchers. Corey Kluber, Jameson Tyone, Zach Eflin, and the Japanese ace that's coming over, Kodai Senga if that's how you pronounce it. He's getting posted, I think, pretty soon. So that would be interesting on the pitching front. And then I had Jose Abreu, of course, who was supposedly going to be a free agent. Evan Longoria, Michael Brantley, Joey Gallo, Jock Peterson, Austin Hedges, as I mentioned earlier. And I'm sure there'll be some interesting non-tenders as well. So, yeah, I think this offseason, as this goes to show, it's so up in the air. Anything could happen, and it should be interesting.
0: Yeah, on paper, I think the Brewers and the Orioles actually do match up well for a trade because the Brewers have some starting pitchers that are getting within a couple of years of free agency, and C. And I do think that, you know, David Stearns is going to have to move with a little bit of cost in this offseason. But at the same time, you're looking where you probably need to retool a little bit. Maybe you get some prospects back that are close to the major league. So you're not doing a full teardown, but you're able to get players that could help you in 2023, 2024, 2025. And you know, at that point, we know St. Louis will probably always be in the picture. Reds and the Pirates will probably be bad for a little while longer. And the Cubs, in theory, the Cubs might make some moves this offseason to put themselves in wild card contention, but we'll see. I would also keep an eye on the Minnesota Twins roster. And the reason I say that is I don't really know where the Twins go this offseason. Because they signed Carlos Correa, they went for it, and for a while it looked like it was gonna work out for them. And then they just collapsed at the end of the season. Jorge Lopez struggled after he went there. Tyler Malley was okay with the twins, um, but not great. So I wonder how they're gonna handle this off season. and could you see a scenario where they pick up Sonny Gray's team's op Sonny Gray's team option and, and decide to trade him? Could Tyler Malley be available in the trade? So I would keep an eye on the Twins because I don't really know what their future, immediate future, looks like. But with how good Cleveland looks right now, even a Cleveland trade same Bieber, they're still a playoff caliber team next year. And um, so you know, young, the everywhere. White Sox got to hold this together somehow. So the Twins got to make a tough choice this offseason, I think, about whether or not to go for it. And as for a free agent. A guy that I'm starting to really eye up for the Orioles is Brandon Nimmo. Um, Left-handed bat, good defender. If he can play left field at City Field, he can play left field at Candom Yards. I don't think you necessarily see a power uptick from him at this stage in his career, even with moving to a more hitter-friendly park. But he gets on base. He doesn't strike out a lot. He's a good defender. So I think he has some of the attributes the Orioles like. And he makes an immediate upgrade in left field over Austin Hayes. You can make Hayes your fourth outfielder and you have Nemo in there as a left-handed bat that goes towards the top of the order and does a lot of things really well.
2: Yeah. on the hit, I like that Nemo idea. And on the hitter front, I think you're going to see the anti Ryan Mountcastles and Austin Hayes of the world be picked up when they have the choice on the matter. You're going to see some guys that get on base, take a walk, have good at bats, good approach. I don't think you're going to see as many free swingers as uh, have been here since Elias took over with what he was left with.
1: Yeah, I was looking at Minnesota's roster when Zach was talking. Give me a, give me Luis a rise. Uh, I'll take that to deal. But, uh, yeah, I don't, do we think – I think the, the bigger question, though, is do you guys actually think the Orioles are going to shell out the, the big contract this offseason? Or is it going to be a bunch of – smaller contracts that definitely increase the payroll, but you know, you're, you're filling some gaps maybe. Yeah. I'm skeptical yeah. of the big, like Carlos Correa thing, even though
2: it is interesting if he opts out, like he had no longer has a draft pick attached to him because of the deal he already signed. So that's definitely ups his value a little bit compared to the other shortstops. But I think you could see more like a two or three year deal for a Jose Abreu, maybe uh two or three year deal for Chris Bassett. Like I think you're going to see just based off also Houston what they did when when Elias was there. It seems like they never really did that big long huge deal. They did more around the margins. So, yeah, I think you might see a little more mid-tier three four year deals, two three four year deals.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I think too. I think you're going to see those kind of free agent deals. And if you're looking for what could be your really big headline moves this off season, I would say keep an eye on the trade market because we know the Orioles are well suited to go out and trade for a starting pitcher this offseason. And honestly, that might be the better route to go than to try to sign a free agent. Um, and Adley Rutzman, does the contract extension happen? Does it happen this offseason? I think it should. Um, I think it's, this is clearly his team. And if you sign Adley Rutzman to an eight year contract um, sometime over the offseason, I think a lot of veterans around the league are going to take notice and say, you know what, Baltimore is heading in the right direction. It looks like a good place to go play.
1: Yeah. At least I feel like, yeah, I feel like we are at least going to be able to get one or two of those Chris Bassett types this offseason. They're going to want to come to Baltimore. They just missed the playoffs. You've got the wall, which clearly worked for the pitchers. There's Jordan (laughs) Lyles. Yeah. So, yeah, I could definitely uh, see that. And speaking of Jordan Lyles, I feel like that's. Isn't that like the first decision? Did Nathan Ruiz or somebody write about that today? Or was that MLB trade rumors? Um, Yeah, I think it was MLB trade rumors. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's, if that's the first decision you have to make, I'm interested to see where the Orioles uh, go. And I imagine if he opts out, then yeah, I think, I think if he, if they decline the option and let him go, I'm going to get more excited about the idea of, oh, they're going after somebody in free agency. And I think it'd be some one or two good guys.
2: I think they're going to exercise it regardless if they want him on the team next year or not. I feel like it gives the team more leverage in free agent negotiations potentially, and they can always flip him later in the mm-hmm. off season. but we'll see. It's definitely interesting. I don't think it's a slam dunk.
0: Go to a question now from Ben Durst. Um With Kyle Stowers, Colton Calder, and Heston Kurstad, we barely hear about Hudson Haskin, but he's just had a very solid year in double A. Is he a legit contender to be on the Orioles 2024 roster, if so, in what role or with all of our outfielders, do you anticipate him being packaged in a trade? And I'll start with Bob.
2: I could honestly see it going either way. I think he definitely has a chance to be on the 2024 roster. By then, I mean, I can't imagine Santander or Alston Hayes are still there. You'll have maybe Mullins if, you know, by then they don't make a move. Kowser, Stowers. But he could easily be just a better version of Ryan McKenna uh, at the very least. Um yeah, I think he could have a role in the team or he could be a trade asset, whether it's this offseason or maybe you let him get some success in AAA next year and increase his value even more. Um, yeah, I think this he's a very key part of just the depth and what you can do with said depth. You can either let them break out for yourself or you can let them break out or trade them before they do or before they bust um, you know, he he's in that 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 range of just complete depth that could go either way. Depends on his progress and what else happens on the team above him.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a tough question. Just be, you know, last year was his first full healthy season, and we saw more power. I think he had what 15 or 16 home runs with Bowie. But also, I think the walk rate and strikeout rates like didn't change much. He gets promoted to Double A, and you saw those numbers kind of stay the same, but the power go up tremendously. We know he can play really good defense, so I-, I think he's a potential. The odds of him becoming a contributor in the major leagues, I think, are pretty high. But his role with the Orioles, like, I-, I don't know. Yeah, I, I want to see what happens with this outfield. I-, I-, I mentioned at the live show that I'm no longer an Austin Hayes fan. I, I don't care if he's on the bench traded whatever i don't care what happens with austin hayes to be completely honest i kind of really do like santander a whole lot after the way he ended the year uh and mullins it's going to be interesting you know teams are going to call about mullins all off season so it'll be interesting to see what happens there but you look at below you got colton cows are sitting there as well in triple a but you look below where um Hudson Haskin is and you got guys like Dylan Beavers and Judd Fabian who I don't know if I can put into words how much I love those two guys now that they're in this organization so it's like where does Haskin fit in all of this I'd kind of lean like to answer the question like I would probably lean more towards he eventually gets traded but like four or five years ago this guy is a top five prospect in our system and now like is he a top five outfield prospect in the system it's just crazy outfield and middle infield depth and it's it's just it's going to be fun to watch how all this plays out.
0: Yeah, it, it is. I definitely see him being a contributor in the major league somewhere. As for whether it's, whether it's with the Orioles, it, it's easier to see him being traded just because of the amount of depth we have. One thing that I think could be a separating factor, though, is how they view his play in center field. If they think he's a major league center fielder and they can move Colton Cowser over to the left, um, I think that increases the chances that we probably see him as a starter in the Orioles outfield at some point. However, you know, I don't know that defensively I'd put him ahead of Judd Fabian. And if Fabian continues to develop at the bat, that's probably going to be your starting center fielder down the line. So something to consider, and Dylan Beavers isn't bad in center either, even though he probably projects more as a corner guy. So I think the defense might have to be the separating factor with Hudson. Uh, Hudson Haskin, even though he obviously made big strides this year. Move on to a question now from Eric Garfield. Can we compare Frederick Ben Cosme's surprising one season rise over three levels to anyone else in recent memory? And I'll start with Nick on this one.
1: I was trying to think, like, in terms of like, here's a teenager who nobody knows anything about, to here's a 19 year old, still teenager in high A, getting some national attention for his bat to ball skills. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, like in the Orioles organization, like more recently we've seen guys like your Stowers and Cowser and other guys play across three levels in one year, but you know, Gunnar Westberg or whatever, but like, those are top draft picks. Those are highly regarded prospects. Ben Cosme was literally someone that no one outside of the organization and the few die diehards who like stalk 18 year old, 17-year-old Dominican kids on Instagram, not me. Um, like that was, Couldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> had no idea who Frederick Ben Cosme was. And then, yeah, like now you've got, it's like, do we have something here with Ben Cosme? Like yeah, now he's in the Dominican Winter League. Uh, hopefully that turns into a good experience for him and he enters 2023 with even more national attention. So I can't think of, of anything at, to his level. Yeah, I agree.
2: And and it's I'm not comparing him in talent level or anything to the guys I'm about to mention. But, you know, that's the one thing I was always so jealous of as an Orioles fan who was never in the international market. You watch the Ronald Acuna's, the Julio Rodriguez, even Jackson Chorio for the Brewers this past season. That's like yeah. one of the most exciting, like out of nowhere prospect it comes, you know, a teenager who's killing the ball in low A and getting up to high A, double A at a super young age and look like a superstar in the making out of nowhere. That's like one of my favorite things to watch happen. And obviously, like I just said, Ben Cosme, is not that level, but he at least gets me excited that, okay, we're finally starting to see these young international guys come in and make an impact. And I think we're just going to see more and more of that as uh, the year goes on here and we get more involved in internationally, but yeah, Ben Cosme, great story. And I think, you know, we talked to the guys, some guys after our live podcast and, Seems like the organization as a whole is pretty high on him, so continue to see that rise just,
1: next year. The, the international talent as a whole, I believe the quote was, they're coming with with a smile on said person's face. So let's go. Yeah, yeah I so, can't so- <laughs> compare
0: Ben Cosme to anybody in the Orioles system just because of like a lot of the factors you guys both mentioned, that young international player who we, I think, thought he was going to spend the whole summer in the FCL – And if he had spent the whole summer in the FCL and hit 280, we'd be talking about him as a guy that, you know, could be a nice breakout story at Del Marva next year. And instead he goes across three levels. You know, you think about like Dean Pinto's rise in 2021, that was two levels. Um, You know, so you you don't quite have that. And, you know, as Bob said, I'm not going to compare Frederick Ben Cosme to Juan Soto because they're much different players. But I remember Juan Soto's 2018. I remember seeing him start the season in Hagerstown. He had been there the year before, gotten off to a hot start, got hurt, goes back there in 2018. You're watching him as a teenager, just owning low-A pitching. He goes up to high-A, owns high-A pitching, then goes to double-A. Barely in double-A, gets promoted to the majors. And I saw him not long after he was promoted when the Nationals came to Baltimore for their interleague series. And I had just seen him in Hagerstown two months before that, and I'm like, how did this guy get so much better in a span of two months? It's just something you don't see very often. So I think with Ben Cosme, hopefully we see a lot more of that in the Orioles system in the coming years, but it's probably without precedent in recent memory. Go down now in this question about from Matt, which prospects would hurt you the most if they got dealt this offseason? And I'll start with Bob.
2: Yes, I made a list. I got five guys. (laughs) Um, Joey Ortiz, number one right now, just because always been a fan of the defense and was ready for that breakout last year, was devastated when he got hurt. And then just the story of this year, the way he bounced back once he got fully healthy, made some adjustments, and just looks like a total stud at AAA to end the year. I'd be crushed, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was dealt, but I really hope he isn't. I want him to be an Oriole when he makes his debut. Uh, Another one's Kobe Mayo, just because I think he could be another one of these guys that is just super young and could break out in a huge way next year, just like Gunnar Henderson did this year. I think he is capable of something like that, and it would just kill me to see them trade him in the next year or two and then watch that happen somewhere else. Gene Pinto, I think that's i I don't really need an explanation there. And then I put the again, Frederick Mencosme Frederick slash Samuel Basayo slash Anderson De Los Santos. Santos. I just, I don't want to see. I think if we did trade those guys, it is a good sign of what the organization is at. But again, I want to see this international crop of players come up and make it a big splash with the team. And then my last one is a little bit of a, a just a personal one. Adam Stauffer, been high on him for quite a while. And I don't know if he's ever going to make it. With the Orioles, I think he could eventually make uh, a major league appearance at some point, but I don't know. Just been following this guy. been high on him for a while, so I'd like to see him stick around.
1: Yeah, I didn't put him on my list. I got two names that really stuck out, but uh, you went personal there, so I guess I'm going to – I mean, number one for me is going to be Brendan Hannafee. I mean, I've watched him since he was 12 years old, so of course. Uh, yeah, I would crush. And I, I think I, someone was telling me that there was an organization – before the pandemic that was very interested in him um, that I would not want to see him go to. But on the top of my list, I got Joey Ortiz for sure. And Kobe Mayo were the two that came to my mind. Like I've said for a long time that I think Kobe Mayo is a special prospect. And I, at the same time though, could easily see how he headlines a trade package at some point, like that bad. He's so young at an advanced level, immense power, so much potential, the potential is just through the roof. I could easily see how, he could be a highly coveted in a, a trade package. Uh, and then Joey Ortiz just because like, he's a big leaguer. I'd bet a very large amount of money that he's a, he's a successful major leaguer for an extremely long time. And you don't see guy, many guys play defense like he does, but um, you know, it's, those are the guys who I think just personally, I would be bummed uh, only for a little bit though. Like I I would honestly get over if any of these guys are traded because we've invested so much time into covering these guys. And we, for uh, now that we're going on what three years or so in the show, we've been following a lot of these guys since the day they were drafted. Um, so it's, it's cool to get to know these guys, even personally getting to know a lot of these guys, it's been so much fun. And so, yeah, it would hurt a little bit to see a lot of these guys dealt, but at the end of the day, like I I've been, I've been working on this, um, you know, I'm sitting here watching Luis Castillo pitch for the Mariners, and I'm like, I want that. Like, I trade who you have to trade to get me that in an Orioles uniform pitching for a World Series. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be emotionally attached to these guys, but I think I'm finally at that point where I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I, I want a World Series ring so bad. Um, yeah, it's just going to be an unfortunate part of the process. Yeah, it's going to be bittersweet <laughs> for me. I'm just anyone
2: that's traded from the team. But again, like you said, I mean, the good thing is you get quality player back in return. You can root for them. And then when they're not playing the Orioles, you can root for the guy that
0: you've been following the whole time and hope he has a good career. So it's all good. Yeah, it, it's tough in our position, I think, to see any prospect go um, in that kind of scenario. But I think Ortiz, Mayo, really that infield group, westberg Ortiz, Mayo, Norby, would be tough to see go. Um, obviously Gene Pinto would be really hard on us um, if that happens. I don't think it will, but it would be really hard on us if that did happen. Um, I want to bring up this question, though, with Joey Ortiz. Um, We're going to hear a lot more this offseason about how taking away the shift is going to affect the way the teams evaluate their infielders' defense. We know that shift or no shift, Joey Ortiz is a big league shortstop. The question that I have is Does that make it less likely he's traded or more likely? Because it could it, be. It really could,
2: because it could be more likely because he's going to be more valuable to other teams, but then it could be less mm-hmm. likely because increases his value to the Orioles themselves. So, yeah, I might almost like it causes more problems than it solves. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. Just don't trade anyone. Let's just, we, we can expand rosters to 60, right? Come on. <laughs>
1: Orioles are going to be that team that uh, we are the homegrown product. No, I mean, you look at the rosters of the the teams in the playoffs now. Like, I don't think anyone on that Padres roster was drafted and groomed by the Padres. Like, not a single soul. Um, there might be one or two, but that's it. Um, I, actually, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I really don't think there is. But, like, yeah, it's – the Ortiz question is interesting. I would almost think that that increases his value to the Orioles, and maybe that gives him a better chance of sticking at short for the Orioles. If he if that bat can translate to the major leagues, then you know would Gunnar Henderson be more suitable for third base? Like, like I guess I just have always hated the notion of people saying, "Oh, he's going to be too big, and you got to move him to third base." What if he's just better at third base defensively? And you've got a stud defender in Joey Ortiz. You can put in at shortstop, then great. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Because I was looking at, you know, I kind of mentioned like, well, if the Orioles bring in that stud third baseman or that stud shortstop this off season and free agency, then you know that starts the the, the ball rolling. Joey Ortiz gets moved, Gunnar Henderson gets moved, positionally, like all that stuff. But I don't see that guy coming into the organization this off season, so. Maybe Joey Ortiz gets a shot. I don't know. Yeah, and if it's
2: going to increase the value of a Joey Ortiz and a Jorge Mateo, as fun as Mateo is to watch defensively, I feel like I like the potential upside more from uh, Ortiz there, so I'd rather see Mateo moved in that scenario.
0: Imagine an infield defense next year with Jorge Mateo at second, Gunnar Henderson at third, and Joey Ortiz at shortstop. I can. You know, it'd There's be, not a lot of the infield.
2: Be a uh, pitcher's best friend, but – yeah, we want to improve the offense, too. That's why I feel like we can't take up two spots with the no-hit all-glove. But I don't think Joey Ortiz is going to be a no-hit the way that Mateo is. But I don't know. It would have been something if Mateo could eventually develop the bat as well as he's developed the glove. But I just I don't know if I'm buying into it.
1: I, I do like talking about Mateo. I like what Connor Newcomb said. Shout out Lockdown Orioles. I liked what he said at our live show. Um, you know, something about like, you look at Ramon Arias, is, is he a guy who, if you put on the bench, he's going to come off the bench and give you that big spark late in games and win you a game. Probably not. But Jorge Mateo is like, when he made that quote, I was like, all these point. guys, you know, that quote. And then, um, you know, Andy Casca coming on the Jorge Mateo stand that he is like, I've, I'm changing my tune on Mateo. And it's like, yeah, I would not mind keeping Mateo around but in that bench role because he could be that explosive late-inning substitute that just really changes the season for the Orioles in a lot of key games. Yeah, and I do agree with Vivek that either one of Mateo or
2: Urias will probably be moved either this offseason or sometime soon. And I like Urias too. He's He had he graded out really well at third base. He's got a more pop than you might expect, can hit a little bit Um I'd, I'd rather see Urias moved in that scenario just because Mateo, especially he's going to be cheap for a few more years. I mean, that's a spark plug.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if we don't have any more questions, probably wrap it up here for this week. We will be back with a new episode next week because we are going weekly this off season. So we'll have coverage of the Arizona Fall League, insight on the MLB playoffs, obviously any moves that happen this off season, And if you haven't signed up to become a patron yet, you should consider doing so because we're going to have more daily content for our patrons starting again sometime after the World Series. So something to look forward to there. As always, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest covers on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And hop on the message board there to join and discuss with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors. And follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verds. Nick has started to pump out Arizona Fall League highlights daily and that has been great to see live baseball on our twitter account again after a short break for bob phel and nick stevens this is zach sped and you've been listening to on the verge
2: that'll do it for this week's episode of on the verge be sure to check out our patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much much more